On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation. Harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. Learn about the latest discoveries in the study of hope and optimism, intellectual humility, and free will at templeton.org. Bela Fleck is one of the greatest living banjo players. He's followed what many experience as this quintessential American roots instrument back to its roots in Africa, and he's taken it where no banjo has gone before. Abigail Washburn is a celebrated banjo player and singer, both in English and Chinese. These two are partners in music and in life, recovering something ancient and deeply American all at once, bringing both beauty and refreshment to what they play and how they live. When I heard Doc Watson, I felt like I heard the beauty of authentic American culture. And I wanted it so badly. I'd been looking for it so badly. And I finally heard it when I heard Doc, this high, lonesome, searching, struggling, suffering, hopeful voice singing this ancient melody and these old, old words. For me, what I think, the word I thought of when you, when you were talking about that, what you actually heard was the truth. It just sounds so true, even though it's, it's just notes. You know, there's something more about it. Tippett, and this is On Being. As this show approaches its 20th year, we are resurfacing some favorite shows that have delighted and shaped us and resonate still, and this is one of those. When Abigail Washburn graduated from college in 1999, she was poised to work for world peace after studying law in Beijing, but she was captured by the banjo instead. Bela Fleck became well-known with his group, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. I spoke with the two of them in 2015 when Nashville Public Radio brought us together on stage at the Belcourt Theater in their hometown. So, uh, Abigail, I know that you have a habit of bursting out into song spontaneously, <laughs> and I want to encourage you to do that tonight if you feel like it. <laughs> you can dance, anything that, if you want to grab your banjo... Okay. You know, uh, <laughs> where, where I always start my conversations, whether I'm talking to a physicist or a banjo player, is um, I'd like to hear a little bit about whether there was a religious or spiritual background to your childhood. And Abigail, I'd like to start with you. Right. You grew up in a few places, Chicago, Washington, Minnesota a little bit. I forgot that you were going to study That me. I've become an I'm, expert I'm, on I'm, yes, I have. Yes. I'm, <laughs> oh, my. Um, yeah, well, my uh, grandmother, who um, was in Evanston, Illinois, most of her life, uh, raised my mother there, a Unitarian Universalist. Uh-huh. And I was raised from 3 to 11 uh, years old in Montgomery Village, Maryland, and the religious education in that UU church, we actually went to everybody else's church. <laughs> we, <laughs> we learned about um, what it was like to, to go to temple or synagogue or yeah. um, mosque, uh, all kinds of different churches. And... Um, I was the kid in high school that instead of having like band posters on my wall, I had 
Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi and the United Nations mural. And instead of going to my senior prom, I decided to go to the United Nations Youth Disarmament Conference in Canada. And I ended up coming back in time for prom because a cute guy asked me. But um, I actually did think that was more important, you know, to go to the UN Youth Disarmament Conference. But um, so that's that was my my childhood as much as I should probably say. Mm. And by the time I was leaving high school and going off for all the different adventures, the next chapter, I, I would say that I was, uh, I believe that my faith and my spiritual path was about cultivating myself for good action. Hmm. Um, Bela, how do you think about the, well, how would you think about the religious or spiritual background of your childhood? How would you think about that now? You grew up in New York. Yeah. Um, I was raised a, uh, a harmless heathen, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah. So, um, my, uh, my, my mother's family's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's family wasn't, but they were, they were split up when I was a kid. And actually I didn't meet him until I was in my forties when I searched him out, uh, which is another story. And, um, well, I know I didn't feel like I, I had any kind of religious or spiritual thing going on, uh, as I grew up. And, um, I think, I was looking for something hmm. when the banjo turned up. Right. And it sort of took the place of a lot of that for me. It sort of became my most important thing. Hmm. And, um, and a lot of the things in religion, you know, you can find in, in music, too. So I'm hoping that that's going to work out for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's done fine. <laughs> if there's a hereafter. It, it, <laughs> yeah, just as long as you have your banjo with you. I... Um, <laughs> I sense that your mother must have communed musically, if not spiritually, with music also. She, this is so fascinating. She named you after not one, but three uh, Central European composers. Yeah, actually, that was my father, who I didn't know. And um, he, he named, and, uh, and so, believe me, I got the better names than my older brother. I won't go really? into that right <laughs> now. <laughs> what are your three names? Bela? Um, Bela Anton Leos Fleck. Really? Yeah. Uh, so Bart- what, after Bartok... Uh, I- Janacek. Aleus Janacek. And uh, Anton Webern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some, some pretty out there stuff. Um, uh, but not banjo music. I mean, diff- out there in a different well, way. Well, it could be. You well, it could be. It could be. Well, you've <laughs> yeah. done Yeah, you've done that. Um, and you discovered the banjo. You were captivated by Earl um, Scruggs. Yeah, Earl Scruggs of the Beverly Hillbillies theme, which actually, you know, people talk about a come-to-God moment. And uh, for most banjo players of note in the bluegrass world, hearing Earl Scruggs is that moment. Mm-hmm. And it, there's before and after. So, so talk, tell us about that. What is that? What is it that happens in that moment? I, I remember it was like light bulb, light, lights going off in my, every note was like a light going off in my brain. And it was just a, an amazing sound. And, and I, now I try to explain it as being a high-tech yet primitive sound. Like a computer can play fast, but you don't get excited. You know, but there's something so earthy and deep, especially the, about the way Earl Scruggs played, um, which which turned people into believers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said something about real. I mean, you've said this before that people talk about the banjo as though it's not a real instrument, which then I guess gets at the question of what, how we define real, right? Well, first of all, I think it's fascinating that um, neither one of you, you're both actually came from the north. Neither one of you like grew up surrounded by banjo and bluegrass. <laughs> So talk about that, about the reality. Like, what, what is real um, what is about real? this music that captured you, that just takes you away? Well, my 
come to God moment in the, the folk music world was hearing an LP of Doc Watson. Yeah. Singing and playing Shady Grove. Yeah. Is this where you want me to bust into song? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd ask. Shady Grove, my little love, Shady Grove, my darling, Shady Grove, my little love, I'm going back to Harlan. When I heard that sound and Doc singing it, um, for me there was this moment where I just knew I was hearing and I should preface this, that I was really immersed in China at this point yeah. and loving Chinese culture and, and studying the language really intensely and been there a number of times. And when I heard Doc Watson, I felt like I heard the beauty of authentic American culture. And I wanted it so badly. I'd been looking for it so badly. And I finally heard it when I heard Doc, this high, lonesome, searching, struggling, suffering, hopeful voice uh, singing this ancient ancient melody and these old, old words. And it didn't matter who owned it or where it came from, but this man was sharing it with me. And I knew that I had to go get a banjo and I had to learn Shady Grove. And instead of doing karaoke in China with my clients when I would become a lawyer someday, I would play ballads from Appalachia, of course. So, so like, that, uh, can, so I, can you, I throw something yeah, in? Yeah. Um, for me, what I think, the word I thought of when you, when you were talking about that, what you actually heard was the truth something that was yeah. the truth and and I think that the greatest musicians that when I think about and even like B.B. King who we just lost but Earl Scruggs and and um even Miles Davis some of these people that played something that somehow seemed so profound and these are just instrumentalists Abby's talking about Doc Watson who could use words uh, you know but um it just sounds so true even though it's it's just notes you know this is something more about it and and this notion of roots like roots music which again it's a, it's kind of a it's a language we throw around. But when you start talking about what the music conveys and where it comes from, you realize how deep that is and what it touches in us. Well, something that I learned from uh, a movie that Bela made, and this isn't a plug, this is just the truth. I, I, I watched Bela's documentary, Throw Down Your Heart, and you called me on your big global phone from over in Africa a number of times. And uh, I think it was when you were in Tanzania. Uh, he was learning the story of how on that side, the journey of the banjo to America You happened. were tracing the original roots of the banjo in Africa. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And what he had learned, and part of the reason the documentary is called Throw Down Your Heart, is because uh, as people were being boarded onto the slave ships, they said, throw your heart down here. You're not going to want to carry it to where you're going. And a lot of the slave masters figured out that if they had a banjo player on, on board playing the music of home, more of the cargo would live to the other side. <sighs> so the origins of the banjo in America are the bitterest of roots. Mm -hmm. uh, makes me want to cry just thinking about it in this moment. And it formed an amazing origin to what became a blend of, of traditions from, from Africa, Ireland, and Scotland when those banjo players from Africa and those fiddlers from Scotland and Ireland started playing plantation dances together. That's what really started mm. what we know of as that early Appalachian and that early American sound. And that sound is based in this bitter root, but with this actual hope, this hope that I can live, that I can live, I can survive. It's an amazing tradition. Right.
I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today with banjo icons Abigail Washburn and Bela Fleck. To this idea of the reality and the truth in this music, um, there's a story you told. Maybe this isn't true either. Correct me if I heard this on the internet. Well, our publicist writes a lot of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that so yeah, maybe Bela, you were traveling, and Abigail, you were home with yeah. Juno, and Juno was banging on the table. Yeah. And you got I'm really so proud excited about that, which, you know, this is a life lesson for other parents who are not musicians, because you thought, he's learning rhythm. Yes, I was so excited, yeah. And Because um, he was banging in time. It was consistent. He was banging yeah. in time? <laughs> are you sure? Close enough. <laughs> That's a fair question. But I mean, but, but that, that, that these, I mean, and then what, what I remembered is somebody, ta- when I was learning to cross-country ski in Minnesota, somebody taught me how to keep my pace by singing, I've been working on the railroad. And I think, here's the thing, I think a lot of people might think, oh, bluegrass music or folk music is not my music, is not my taste. And yet, so much of, of this music is... Like woven into our lives in ways that we don't ever don't even reflect on. Yeah. I don't think. Well, let me put it this way: some bluegrass music might not be your taste, but some other bluegrass music might be. And if you just let uh, the name bluegrass repel you because you just heard some bluegrass you didn't like, it, yeah. you'll miss out on a bunch of great music. And I think uh, whenever we decide we don't like a kind of music. We're the one that loses because there's always something in every field that's beautiful that that you would like. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to circle back to China. And you two have also, have you got, you've gone to China as well, right? I know you've yeah, gone back there. Yeah, I've been there three times, and one, of, one time we got to go to Tibet together. And uh-huh. it was, so it was um, apparently one of the first American and Chinese-sponsored trips over there, which was a pretty incredible experience for both of all, all of us. We were with the Sparrow Quartet at that time with Casey Dreesen and Ben Soli, and we had a pretty incredible experience over there. Yeah. Have you also been over there kind of not just taking this music, but also collecting their music and doing well, some... you did your Silk Road trip. Yeah, I've done a number of... On almost every trip I've done, I've uh, tried to collaborate with somebody locally no matter where I end up. Mm-hmm. And that has led to meeting the most incredible, wonderful local musicians all over China. So right. I feel like I have gotten to jam and play with... Uyghurs, Tibetans, uh, Mongolians, uh, Dong people, Han, wonderful Han uh, folk music players from all over China. And I have one really memorable experience that was of um, being in a, in a city and calling ahead and, and asking for someone to come. And this old man showed up backstage and he had an Arhu case. And an Arhu is a little two-stringed instrument, actually, but the bow goes in between both of the strings, and it snake, sounds... Snakeskin covered. Snakeskin covered. Banjo, really, that's a violin. Mm. Yeah, tiny, tiny head, and it sits on your knee, and you play it. Sounds like a human voice, almost. It sounds really? like a um, human voice to some and a dying cat to others. It really depends. Right. And he showed up, and, and uh, he saw me in this wonderful band of musicians that I was there with from America, and uh, he just didn't look happy at all. He, he looked at me and said... Uh, Americans and Chinese cannot, simply cannot play music together. It's too different. 
And I looked at him and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, well, would you just play for us then? Um, and he pulled out his arhu and he started playing this breathtakingly gorgeous uh, melody from Tibet, actually. And, and the band, as we were listening, we just started to tune up our instruments to match his tuning. And we just started playing along with him. And you could see this. It was barely there, but you could see just that corner of his <laughs> mouth kind of <laughs> turn up ever so slightly. And that night we performed that song that we created in that moment for 1,400 people in a theater in that town. And at the end of the show, he came up to me and, and he said, Tonight I discovered something. It's not that Americans and Chinese can't play music together. It's just that music is actually the communication of hearts. This is Abigail Washburn and her band jamming with a group of Uyghur musicians around the dinner table in western China as part of that Silk Road tour. short break more with Abigail Washburn and Bela Fleck Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world Fetzer's new study What does spirituality mean to us reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, with Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. He is one of the greatest living banjo players. She is a celebrated claw hammer banjo player and singer, a passionate explorer of both American and Chinese folk traditions. And they are partners in music and in life, recovering something ancient and deeply American all at once, imparting beauty and refreshment to what they play and how they live. Nashville Public Radio brought us together in 2015 in their hometown at the Belcourt Theater. Bela, you have said the first time you heard Abigail's music, you were listening in the car and you got stopped for speeding. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was out, out Franklin. Uh, there was because a party. you were just so caught up in the so romantic. Yeah, she gave me, in fact, I, I, it's not really the first time. It's been slightly sanitized okay. story. Uh, but um, what, the first time I heard her, uh, it was at a party, and she was playing these very, very sad, slow songs with a bunch of girls gathered around her. And I was going, this is just not for me, you know. <laughs> it was really, it was just really slow. And it was beautiful, but I was like, yeah, okay. 
she's good, you know. But uh, but then she gave me this this CD uh, at this party, and I started listening to it, and I had a completely different experience because the banjo was up front, there was this groove to it, and she was singing like you just heard her with this ancient sound, uh, very connected to traditional music, and I just started driving faster and faster <laughs> and going, wow, I really like this. I think I was even talking to myself, and then I got pulled over and had to walk the line. <laughs> You know, it seems to me, Bela, that your story is also about kind of, as much as it's about traveling through places, it's about traveling through genres, kind of, I don't know, as an old Star Trek lover, taking the banjo where no banjo has gone before. Mm. (laughs) Or at least maybe we don't all know that it's gone there before. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, could you do that, Abby? I can't remember it. How does it go? (laughs) That's good. Yeah, although I'm more yeah. of a next generation fan. Oh. See, and there are clearly people in the audience who know what we're talking about. Um, I have to say, the titles of the Flectones albums are really intriguing. Uh, Flight of the Cosmic Hippo. By the you, way, we had a bus driver recently, and he said, man, I love the Flectones. I said, really? He said, yeah, I got your album. I said, which album? He said, oh, you know, the one with the pig on the cover. <laughs> which one was that? Flight of the Cosmic Flight of the Hippo. Cosmic hippo. <laughs> so it didn't have a hippo on the cover. It had a hippo on the cover. It did have a hippo on the cover. I see. Okay. And then there's UFO Tofu. That's a palindrome. It spells the same thing backwards. And so we had a, we had a long um, piece. Oh, I see. Yeah, it we does. Had a long piece. <laughs> well, we had a musical piece that was a palindrome that was about five minutes long that all went forward and went backwards. It had about six different palindromes buried within it and so we used to tell stories about palindromes before we do that song and that one popped up a guy named baby gramps told us about that one and yeah that's great mm-hmm. and then three flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah we were, we were searching hard at that point <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah you kind of <laughs> you really hit the peak with ufo tofu palindromes um we did a show we we did an event in in new york city about Bach, it was during the Bach month with a computer scientist and a Bach lover. And we actually put this recording, this amazing recording of you playing Bach's partita for a violin, number three, on the banjo on our website. It was so gorgeous. You um, have incredible taste. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was then also really amazed to learn that you've written a concerto for banjo with the and you did it with the Nashville Symphony Orchestra, with the 80, an 80-piece symphony orchestra. Very intrigued by the title, The Imposter, mm. that you gave to that. Would you talk about... Sure, yeah. And, and really, The Imposter, and Abby and I have talked about feeling like you're the outsider, you're the other. Yeah, it kind of comes back to this idea that the banjo is not a real instrument. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, and I, and I realized at some point that... Um, not always, but often putting myself in positions where the banjo hasn't been played before, so I have to figure out a role for the banjo in, with Indian musicians or with Chinese musicians or, or with classical musicians or with jazz musicians. And um, the only place I really know exactly what the banjo's supposed to do is bluegrass. That's the place where I know exactly what almost every banjo player of note has played since Earl Scruggs from till now. I, I know how they would do things, and I can make my choices based on an understanding, but everywhere else, I'm kind of waiting for somebody to say, hey, you're not supposed to be in here, get out of here, you know? So that, that's a feeling that I sometimes get 
uh, when I'm feeling insecure, like uh, somebody's going to catch me and kick me out. And, and so with the imposter, you know, playing in front of a, a symphony orchestra and writing the piece and everything, too, I, w- I was, uh, had my ears peeled for somebody to eject me. Then there's this place at the very end where the banjo kind of breaks free from the rest of the orchestra, and what what would, what well, did that symbolize? In for writing you? the in writing the piece, um, I was making a serious attempt not to do a um, Appalachian concerto, uh, but it, but by the end of the piece, I was really I had been trying hard, you know, to to, to complete this piece, and I wasn't coming up with a big ending, right. and that's when desperately I reached for Earl Scruggs, and he was there for me, <laughs> and, uh, and not only that. Uh, I dedicated the piece to Earl Scruggs and, uh, and got to play it for him um, before the premiere. And he came to the premiere, and it was the last uh, concert that he came to. Really? Yeah, and he passed away maybe four, uh, five or six months later. Oh. So it was uh, some closure there. Yeah. But he was, he was very sweet. It felt to me like, you know, you really have come full circle. I mean, isn't there a song in your, um, in your album we've done together from Bela Bartok? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So you've actually come back to your namesake. Uh, well, it really, when I started writing that piece, that was when I finally said, look, I got to get into this Bartok stuff. It's just, it's, people keep asking me, oh, you, you must really be a Bartok fan because he was always exploring folk music and classical music. And I'm like, well, I, I really haven't heard very much of it. And I think I, because of the complexity of my relationship with the person who gave me that name, yeah. I wasn't eager to embrace it. But at the point when I was writing this piece, it was like, okay, let's just deal with all of this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and you so had met listening. your father at that point? It yeah. had some kind mm-hmm. of... A lot of the sort of uh, Darth Vaderism uh, had sort of subsided by making him into a real person. And then... Uh, um, I was ready to go face Bartok, which turned out to be some of the greatest music I ever heard. Really? Oh my really? God! It's so, it's so different. It's so um, free uh, from convention and imaginative. Uh, and I, I love it. Uh, I really do. But I'd like to actually like try to learn a violin concerto on the banjo and things like that. That would mm. be a lot of fun. both talk about the music you do together in terms of like dialogue and conversation. Well, that's Abby. Like, I am not a, a talker. This is a lot for me. Okay, you're doing really but, well. Well, thank you. Thank you're you. really I holding mean, your own. I, but but um, <laughs> if you came to a Flectone show, maybe there would be speaking two or three times in the whole night and it would be brief. But Abby is a, is a great storyteller and she reaches out to the audience and really gets to know them and, and talks a lot. So I've, I've had to learn to... <laughs> come to terms with that and, and, and participate in that as well. We, we'd get off stage after the first couple of shows and he'd say, um, I don't know how to put this, but could we talk a little less, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> 
Because we only had time for like five songs in a two-hour set. I was trying to get the song to, okay, to right, time but, ratio and, up and, a little bit. But I didn't necessarily... Okay, so there is the literal conversation, but there's also the kind of the dialogue between the banjo and the voice, and also the dialogue between... When you're both playing the banjo, different kinds of banjo and different styles, and right? Oh, on stage, like as yeah. a part of our, our yeah. performance, yes. Yeah. I think a, a real intention when we were finally taking our thing together seriously, not just our love for one another, but our ability to perform together, which really hit when we realized we're going to have a baby. So we decided that we needed to really make an effort to put out something in the world that was like a formal offering uh, musically uh, as a duo. So that we could travel together and, and not right. be split up like so many couples that have, have babies and one, of the, and one of the two of them travels. So, so we decided we'd throw our forces together just and, and hit the road. take the baby with us. Yeah. And so when we were planning our, our record, we, we thought, we know that two banjos and a vocal can be a really wonderful thing, but we, have to, we actually do have to prove it. So we decided to create soundscapes that differed from track to track and that differed from song to song which meant including different types of banjos. There's, um, back in the late 1800s, there were actual banjo orchestras all over America. They were really popular. There were big uh, double banjo basses with end pins that people stood and played, and they looked like taiko drums with strings on them, and um, piccolo banjos, and banjo ukes, and banjo lins, and uh, it, it goes on, banjo why, cellos. Why did that go and, away? Why? Exactly, right? Yeah, I mean... Why do we not even know this? <laughs> um, on your album too, as well, this album you produced together, there's one song called Banjo Banjo, one tune called Banjo Banjo, that in the liner notes, it says that you sat down and made that music at when you first felt Juno kick. But I have to say, you know... It's enviable, you know, to think about this being part of your marriage, your, your friendship and relationship and a way that you can celebrate, you know, you can literally make music together. <laughs> it's great. I mean, we're constantly yeah. uh, amazed by our, our, our situation. Yeah. It's a sweet, sweet situation. Yeah. Yeah. Probably it's, the hardest thing to do is to find time to make new music because yeah. we wake up in the morning with Juno on the bus and the first thing we want to do is just go play with him and be with him. And so we do that. We spend several hours together with... Juno until he falls asleep for his nap. And then we're wiped out. And then we're tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today with musicians Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn in a public conversation at the Belcourt Theater in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> Something also that intrigued me, actually... Neither one of you has a really extensive professional training, right? I mean, and, I mean, this is you—you you really came to this very late. But Bela, I mean, you are the premier banjo player possibly in the world, and you know, Abigail. I have to say, when I first uh, experienced the two of you, I also assumed that you were somebody who'd you know grown up learning this, and you play with Bela Fleck, and you know, the two of you yes. are this, this banjo-playing duo, and when you were pregnant, you know, some music reporter said, and now they will give birth to the holy banjo emperor, right? <laughs> um, 
but, but part of what you've been out there talking about, and you, you delivered the commencement address for Colorado College for your alma mater, and you, you talked a lot about this way um, you were open to experience, and you really discovered this thing that has become defining, and in fact, you're helping to define this kind of music now and the culture, but it, it was very unexpected, and you didn't prepare for it all your life in, an, in a linear way. Mm. Well, I, a piece of my story that I don't really ever tell because it just adds another 30 seconds is um, the fact that uh, when I left Vermont on my road trip to go south before I was headed to China to become a lawyer, my first stop, my very first stop was at the Berry Center for Buddhist Studies, and I spent five days meditating, and it was the first time I ever meditated in my whole life, and to this day, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. To sit still, my body ached, I became afraid I was hurting myself, and I went into the darkest place. And one day I remember I was sitting there, it must have been three days in or something, and I went into this very deep place. Finally, I wasn't really thinking a whole lot, and I came out of it hours later, and my entire shirt was covered with tears and boogers. I mean, it was not pretty. And I... I, in that moment, I stood up and nobody was in the room. They had all left. And I know that I had let go of something major. Um, I'm not even totally sure what it is to this day, but I know that I didn't really feel like a victim anymore when I left that place. I felt like I was clean and fresh and pure and I could make my decisions. And that within days, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, playing the four songs I knew on the banjo and was offered a record deal in Nashville, Tennessee. I came to Nashville instead of going to China to go to law school. And I felt ready for that. I felt ready. That's all I can say. Were you, were you always a singer? Or did that come later too? Yeah, I always loved singing. I was uh-huh. in choir all through school. And yeah. uh, I'd always try out for the solos and I never got them. So I really didn't fancy myself much of a singer. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be perceived as a good see, singer. See, that's what I got out of getting ready to talk to you. You don't, you don't really consider yourself to be a great musician. No. You, you, no. Don't, you, you, you feel like this is something you came too late and you, this imposter language. I mean, you're, I don't think you do feel like an imposter because you, you throw yourself into it so joyfully. Yeah. But you don't think of yourself the way other people think of you as a musician. Right. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. But I, that is no harm or foul to how I feel about the music. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like music, just like most of my life, I hope that it's a service to people. <laughs> this goes back to my childhood. Yeah. I'm hoping that I'm continually through the music cultivating myself to have compassion and empathy and to express that to people. And, you know, I was talking to my mom today as we were walking around the lake trying to just think of things from my childhood and not forget too much when I talk to you tonight. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was remembering what a um, sensitive child I was. I was so tuned in to everybody's feelings. And it was a beautiful thing because I saw people's feelings before I saw them. And... Uh, now I consider it a great gift, but at the time it, 
I didn't know how to manage it. And so I felt darkness a lot because I immediately would recognize people feeling darkness. And my whole life I've had to learn how to manage that. And a beautiful thing is that a song teaches me to manage that. Because I feel something so strong. Most songs I I choose to sing unless they're... Because a song becomes a container for it. It's a container for the empathy and for the sensitivity. So I can feel something so strongly. Like I've been singing the song, um, Come All You Coal Miners, that was written by an amazing woman named Sarah Ogan Gunning. And she was raised in a, a coal camp and her child starved to death because they couldn't get milk for her baby and her husband died of black lung and all of these things I, he- I hear her story and I'm crying and I'm crying and I start to sing the song come all you coal miners wherever you may be and listen to a story that I'll relate to thee my name is nothing extreme but the truth to you I'll tell I am a coal miner's wife, I'm sure I wish you well. They'll take your very lifeblood, they'll take your children's lives. Take fathers away from children and husbands away from wives. Coal miner, won't you organize wherever you may be and make this a land of freedom for workers like you and me. Dear miner, they will slave you till you can't work no more. And what do you get for your living but a dollar at the company store? A tumble-down shack to live in, snow and rain pours in the top. You have to pay the company rent and your pain, it never stops. I am a coal miner's wife, I'm sure I wish you well. Let's sink this capitalist system in the darkest pits of hell. That actually was a um, kind of an amazing demonstration of something that I was going to read to you, Bela, this was somebody, this is from a blog called The Rabbi's Pen. Have you ever heard this? My crack producer, Lily, found this for me. <laughs> um, spiritual Reflections on Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones. By a, a by rabbi. Oh. I, did, I, didn't, I can't, couldn't find the rabbi's name. Um, music is a language, a way I, of, I might have posted this. <laughs> All right, we'll take it with a grain of salt. Um, music is a language, a way of communicating, a vehicle for bringing greater peace, tolerance, and humor into our own hearts and into the world. Music is a spiritual discipline and a great teacher. Great musicians like Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones are also great teachers. Do you ever think of yourself? <laughs> Do you ever think of yourself as a teacher? Is that... Um. I don't know. I mean, I, I know there are people who, that have uh, learned from what I do, yeah. and it's exciting to see people that have taken uh, what, what, I've, what I do and built on it, just the way I built on Earl Scruggs and Tony Trishka and so many great people that I learned from. Yeah. This person also said, um, at the Ryman Auditorium, Bela Fleck took a few moments to honor one of his teachers, the late Earl Scruggs. 
there was a palpable sense of reverence and holiness throughout the auditorium, as many of us understood the great love that emerges when true teaching and learning have occurred. Well, there's a lot you can do with instrumental music, and, and uh, t- sometimes we, t- we tend to sideline it and think of it as background music or mm-hmm. support for vocals. Like A lot of times, I can't tell you how many times I've been playing with somebody uh, for an audience, and the singer sings, and then as soon as uh, we go into the instrumental part, people start talking. It doesn't matter who it is. Really? It could be with some of the greatest musicians in the world. It's like a, a go-to, oh, that's not the main thing, but, you know, go to India, you might have a very different experience of a spiritual experience listening to music. It doesn't have to be India, wherever you, wherever you hear it. Or even people hearing uh, the great German classical music, you know, or Chopin can have a, a pretty ecstatic experience through the works of, of human beings. And the pieces that I've come up with that, that have a strong uh, mood or that kind of a component, I couldn't explain to you what I was going for when I was trying to write them. I might have found a sound that, that has expressed a feeling or a mood that I tried to write a piece around, and um, I couldn't explain what that mood is even. But, there, but, if, but someone who listened to it would know exactly what I was talking about. We um, are drawing to a close, and we're going to hear a little bit more music from you. I, um, I often will kind of circle around to this question of... Um, what you've learned through the life you've lived about what it means to be human and, and how, how perhaps that has evolved since you know, your, your early days, things that you know now or believe now that or experience now that would have surprised you then. I was in China after the, the big earthquake in 2008. I hope I'm right about that. The years are flying by now that I have a baby. and They will continue to fly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And with a friend of mine, we were making, Dave Liang, uh, the Shanghai Restoration Project, we were making a a record with the kids. uh, And this actually happened before we came back to make the record. I went there just to see what I could do, because I had spent a lot of time in Sichuan, uh, my great teacher who taught me my tremendous love for China. Old Lady Wang is from Sichuan. And they said, you know, why don't you just come play some music for for the kids at these relocation schools. And the kids were struggling so much. I mean, they were not only taken away from their homes, but they had lost a lot of family members, and they were living in these uh, temporary trailers in a place they didn't know at all, with just their teachers there and their, their fellow students. And at the end of the, my performances, the kids would always come up to me, and they'd, they'd say, you sang for us, now we want to sing for you, you know? And so most of them, I would listen to, like, 90 pop songs, Chinese pop songs, you know? <laughs> You know, just. (laughs) And it was very cute and fun. Um, But this one girl came up to me and she said, uh, Wang Da Jie, which means big sister Wang. Washburn is Wang. Uh, She said, Wang Da Jie, uh, 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 Big sister Wang, I want to sing you a song that my mother taught me, and my mother died in the earthquake. And so she sat down on my lap, and she started singing to me, and tears started coming down my face, and she started to cry too. I had this moment where I just saw this light shining from her and from me, and I felt so very connected to her and to everyone, and... I just knew that I wanted to live, and I do want to live in that light, 
as much as possible with her and with you and with everyone. And that's how I try to live my life. Yeah. That is so lame. <laughs> He's so sweet. Okay, your turn. <laughs> no. I didn't bring any tissues up here. Fela <laughs> Fleck. Uh, what was the question again? Yeah. <laughs> what does the banjo teach you about life? <laughs> That's a better way to do it. Okay. Um, well, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it's, you know. It's where I put my energy, and I feel like everybody, you've got a certain amount of energy in your life to devote to various things, and I've been putting most of my energy into the banjo for uh, most of my life. And uh, actually, what's interesting, I mean, I'm learning as much about life right now from having a child mm-hmm. uh, with, yeah. with Abby mm. and um, Juno is a great teacher and I'm, I'm what you'd call a type A psychotic um, musician I've lived that way up till now where I could I could make music the thing the most important thing in the world and and uh, and in a way I thought that was that, that's my job my job is to and I know it's not true but make believe that the banjo and what happens with the banjo is like the most important thing in the world, and that's why I'm. That's what I do. That's my job. I, that's yeah, the privilege that's I get calling. to experience. Uh, is like just like a great physicist has right. to believe that's the most important thing in the world right. to do the kind of work he wants to do. But once you have a kid, all of a sudden, it's clearly not the most important thing in the world, and so there's a lot of growing up that comes with that. So the challenges now are how to keep the commitment that I made to this guy while keeping the commitment that I made. To this girl and the, the guy who's uh, the little guy the who's at home. The holy banjo emperor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the holy yeah the holy banjo emperor yeah. So um, that's a challenge, but uh, you know we're figuring it out together, and and I'm finding that it's okay not to wake up and go you know work on hard music all all day and, and just stop and spend all morning with uh, watching this little kid full of wonder at these things you know. That's the best I can do. <laughs> Well, it's great. Um, it's, been, it's been a real joy and an honor to dive deeply into what you do and who you are, and I'm glad you're in the world. And uh, thank you for making yourself available for this. And thank you, all of you, for coming. And now they're going to play some music for us again. All right, this is an old song that was recorded on a, a porch in Merle's Inlet, South Carolina in the 1930s. Abigail Washburn's newest album is Wu Fei and Abigail Washburn. It's a collaboration with her longtime friend, the renowned Gucheng player Wu Fei. Her other albums include Song of the Traveling Daughter and City of Refuge. Bela Fleck has recorded over 40 albums, most famously with the Fleck Tones and New Grass Revival. In 2020, he released Throw Down Your Heart, The Complete Africa Sessions. 
His latest album is My Bluegrass Heart. And together, they have two full album collaborations, Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn and Echo in the Valley. In 2018, they produced another collaboration, Their Second Son. And in 2020, they live-streamed Banjo House lockdown concerts from their Nashville home with their children on Friday nights. Those are well worth watching on YouTube on any Friday night in any year. I got the keys to the kingdom. The world can't do me no harm. I'm going to sing that a lot. Finally, special thanks again to our friends at WPLN Nashville Public Radio and the Belcourt Theater for making this show possible. Then the angels came from heaven down and told me at the old wooden bowl, I got the keys to the kingdom. The world can't do me no harm. I got the keys to the kingdom. World can't do me no harm, yeah. The On Being Project is Chris Hegel, Loren Drummerhausen, Aaron Colasacco, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, Lucas Johnson, Suzette Burley, Zach Rose, Colleen Check, Julie Seipel, Gretchen Honnold, Jale Akavan, Rodrigo Tuma, Ben Cott. Gautam Shrikashen, Lily Benowitz, April Adamson, Ashley Herr, and Matt Martinez. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent, nonprofit production of The On Being Project. It is distributed to public radio stations by WNYC Studios. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. Supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on Earth. Learn more at Calliopeia.org. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. The Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. And the Ford Foundation, working to strengthen democratic values, reduce poverty and injustice, promote international cooperation, and advance human achievement worldwide. On being is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.